All right, welcome to the Codex Cantina. I am Una. And I want my back to stop hurting. So written in July 1906 through 1907, some say March, some say he went in through September. This depends on the bibliography that you are reading, but if you have spent any time in Italy where he was at that point in time, you know that Christmas is a huge deal to the Italians. So the Feast of the Epiphany, for those that don't know, is kind of like 12 days after Christmas. And it's kind of like the second most important day, where this is when Jesus was presented to the wise men. On the first day of Christmas, my Una gave to me. So some would argue that this is kind of the way of presenting knowledge, in a sense, to, to the next generation. So let's get into this. This piece right here, if you did not know, is arguably, in terms of short stories, his most famous work. I think that he saved the masterpiece for the perfect spot the end of the book. There's entire papers out there that deal with uh, how the characters' voicings influence the narrator's voicings and the word choices. There's articles out there that talk about the nuanced conversation and the downfall of Gabriel's characters from a realization standpoint. Yeah, I think you sent me an article that was like 50-some pages written just about that. <laughs> it was crazy. There's a ton of ways to break this down. And people, our fans at least, don't seem to like it when we do two-part videos. So we're just going to do one part on this. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're going to focus on the parts that resonated with us. I actually don't know what Crypto's points are, so we'll see what we get into. But I'm going to focus on some class structure and social structure things in terms of a historical breakdown. If that sounds super nerdy, it's because <laughs> it is. And I will be focusing in on mortality and more of the isolation to kind of bookend with what we talked about in The Sisters. You can read this for free. It is available in the public domain. We will put a link down below if you would like to join us on this journey. But just be aware, this is his longest work in this piece, approaching novella length. Uh, as we start here, there are two things that I think you should know real quick, that they use the word screwed over many, many times. And it has a different uh, connotation here in this story. It means drunk. And one of the other things is the level of economic prosperity for these people is that they live in an upper class. They are better off than most during the time period. That's a good point, because I think a lot of people, when they break down Joyce, they'll notice that he uses real places. He uses real people's names. He uses real events. That there's an entire autobiographical is the wrong word to use. But he is so ingrained in his experiences that he injects into his fiction but he uses so many nonfiction elements that it just it's a treasure trove of research. It's, it's a good point that they are in a what I've understood is an upper class part of town. Um, but you'll notice that the characters aren't necessarily described as upper class directly. And let's let's get into that because one of mine is kind of some of some class. You things. could say that the setting is upper class and the people themselves are not. So as we put it out in our other story for the sisters, this story bookends Dubliners. So the sisters is the very first story dealing with adolescence, innocence, and a young boy. This one is the very last story in Dubliners and talks more about people in uh, their older ages. So it's pretty cool how this is done, the aspect of childhood in the beginning to mature life at the very, very end of the story. And they're arranged in a progressive chronological order, starting with the young boy all the way up to the mature sisters here. I have a quote from James Joyce that says, I have tried to present it to the indifferent public under four of its aspects, childhood, adolescence, maturity, and public life. The stories are arranged in that order. 
So here we are in the public life section of Dubliners. And as we said in the other video as well, pretty cool that you could swap the titles for the sisters and the dead from this work. Go watch that. I explain it. I'm not going to do it all again. <laughs> so let's compare real quick what was happening in Ireland at this time, because I feel for my breakdown, that's super important for how we can interpret our way of interpreting this piece. All right, hit me. Refresh um, me. So this is post-potato famine, right? Many, many... Many people went from rich to, to poverty, survived on very little food, on very specific types of food, right? Right. They're still under British rule. They have not reached independence yet. That happens later on in the 1900s. They are still uh, considered Britain. So you're going to see a lot of nationalistic undertones to this. And when they use the slang West Britain, geographically, Ireland is to the west of Britain. That was slang for an Irish person who supported England, basically. Yeah, they were loyalists. And a lot of Irish people wanted to break away from this. They they wanted freedom. They wanted something different because this sucks, but they're paralyzed. They're afraid. They don't know how to take the next step. There's this huge Celtic revival that's happening where we're honoring the, the olden ways of Irish past. And there's this whole modernity thing happen where James Joyce is like, we need to be looking towards the future and in this piece particularly, more than the rest of Dubliners combined, he really hits it home with, with how I'm going to take it for an interpretation. We have a quote, A new generation is growing up in our midst. A generation actuated by new ideas and new principles. It is serious and enthusiastic for these new ideas and its enthusiasm. Even when it is misdirected is, I believe, in the main sincere. But we are living in a skeptical end. If I may use the phrase, a thought-tormented age. And sometimes I fear that this new generation, educated or hyper-educated as it is, will lack those qualities of humanity or hospitality, of kindly humor, which belonged to an older day. Which is an incredible line, paragraph, to have put together to discuss how looking forward we can't forget some of the hospitality and, and intelligence and, and, and elegance that brought us to here today. We can't just move on without some of those things. I think that quote right there is the reason you have to read this story. And I think that that's something that should always be expressed to future generations. And notice the usage of the word living in here when he says, but we are living in a new. You're going to see the word living come up uh, over and over again throughout this piece in a piece called The Dead. He's playing with a lot of different concepts here. And you're not going to get them all. We're not going to get them all. But Don't steal my thunder. <laughs> let's talk about a couple angles here, right? Yeah, just a few. So I want to go through a little bit of this public... If this is supposed to represent public life, let's talk about how each of these classes and characters perfectly match up in their conversations to how James Joyce's view of Ireland was at this point in time. Because remember, this piece is called Dubliners. Not Dublin. This is about the people being paralyzed, not the actual country and state and city of. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Gabriel is our main man through this, right? And he's too paralyzed to really commit to many things in this. And some critics will point out that Gabriel is actually, in terms of his views, is kind of a lot like Joyce. I don't want to say it is Joyce, how some authors kind of write themselves in. But he's definitely a mouthpiece for a lot of the views that Joyce had at this point in time. He's Joyce-esque. He's educated and he thinks well of himself, yet he has his failures. Fair enough. Yeah. So we have a quote. 
I feel more strongly with every recurring year that our country has no tradition which does it so much honor and which it should guard so jealously as that of its hospitality. It is a tradition that is unique as far as my experience goes, and I have visited not a few places abroad among the modern nations. So here, what we have is Joyce bringing out hospitality as an important thing. And don't forget that in this point in James Joyce's life, he was traveling throughout Italy with his new infant son and his wife. He was missing a lot of the hospitality of his homeland, as a lot of critics will point out at this point in time. Makes sense. And you'll have him using lines, here I am, right as mail. I'll engage they did. And you'll notice that these are very European lines. They're not really Irish in core. And you probably have like almost kind of like a Dickens feel through some of the, <laughs> the, the writing. And that full credit to Joyce and his amazing dialogue through this. But you'll notice that he is establishing some West Britain characteristics, some ideas of lacking nationalistic pride. So again, we see him being almost embedded indirectly into the story without him actually writing himself into the day. All right, let's go through some of these characters and how they relate to Gabriel, because you'll notice Gabriel, kind of a James Joyce mouthpiece, has this clash with each of these characters and how he kind of has like a failure or is even sometimes emasculated in his interactions with these people coming into it thinking he's better. So we have the whole Michael Furry, Fury, Greta situation. And I think this is kind of the warning of dwelling on the past, okay? Uh, okay. The final scene of this whole book with his wife recalling the love and interaction she had with this young boy at a young age just completely rips out the carpet from from the view that that Michael that Gabriel has of a relationship with his wife, right? Yep. We have the quote, "Our path through life is strewn with many such sad memories, and where we too brood upon them always, we could not find the heart to go on bravely with our work among the living." There's that living again. We have all of us living duties and living affections which claim and rightly claim are strenuous endeavors so here like you said like you pointed out we have some commentary on living being used three times in this quote but the most important part of this is we could not find the heart to go on bravely and here's where james joyce is once again talking about his wife is stuck on this past memory with this boy from a young age and she's not able to move on and the inability to move on has caused her to paralyze Again, there's that theme, paralyze her relationship with Gabriel. If we didn't cover paralyze, I think, in this video, but please go back to our sister's video. It's imperative that you understand how important the word paralysis is for this book. Man, you're killing it. Keep going. So let's move on to the sisters, Kate and Julia, the Morkins, um, who represent that Irish hospitality. Again, that quote that we were talking about earlier that's very important. Now, you'll notice um, critics will point out that they live in a upper class area of town. But you'll notice the way that these two talk about having to scrape by, about having to, to give piano lessons. Um, you know, their music is kind of how they scrape by and make some money. And even then, their niece, Mary Jane, is described as the breadwinner for the family and helps fund some of these things. So these people, while they live in an upper-class part of town, you can see they've fallen. Yeah, I also think that they, they are working. I mean, they're working upper-class and that's something that I think Joyce is trying to point out as well, is these aren't just old money type people. Well, they've lost their money. 
They, they, they are no longer really able to afford the life that they have. And I think some critics will point out that a lot of the food that they have at the celebration in terms of the celery and some of the fruits, you can't get in December, January timeframe, Christmas time. It is out of season. So they are spending money to, to put on the facade of lots of wealth and hospitality specifically when they don't necessarily have the means to support that year round. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's something else, again, we could go into more detail about as well of looking at it, that the purpose of people working themselves to death to put on this face of what actually isn't really there. Well, he has this really acerbic quote where he says, ladies and gentlemen, the generation which is now on the wane among us may have had its faults. But for my part, I think it had certain qualities of hospitality. And there's more to it there, but I think we'll stop there. But we get the idea that this is Gabriel interacting with hospitality at this point in time in terms of Mary Jane, the two sisters, and even Lily. Remember, there's that really awkward exchange where she doesn't pronounce his name right, the Conroy, the three syllables. It is funny. Conroy. And he asks her about the, the social constraint of being married. And she's like, I'm not married. And she has this very biting response. You start to see that Gabriel thinking that he can get along with these classes and put, even putting those social standards on of you have to have a husband, you have to move on. You see the working class kind of not really connect with him as well. You see a little bit of paralysis with him not being able to connect because what does he do when that happens with Lily? He flips her some money as like a, a, a coin tip, doesn't acknowledge the mistake kind of really and just kind of moves on real quick, right? I think that's something that we definitely see here of him trying to set these different levels or classes within the the economics. And this is something that, oh, rich people just buy off. Well, think about it, too, because he's putting these constructs of love of being married onto other people. But he himself is struggling in his own marriage with intimacy and even understanding his wife per the ending of the novel, too. Right. Yeah. Well, we don't know that yet, but yeah, you could say right. at that point in time, he is projecting upon the, this young girl. Right. That's that's the point I'm making is that Gabriel yeah. constantly overestimates himself and is constantly emasculated or cut down by his interactions with each of these classes. Real quick, we've got Freddie Marlin, uh, Freddie Marlin, who is the drunk Irishman. I hate to go into this stereotype, but <laughs> it's here. And he talks about him and needing to distract him. And the idea is also, too, that the the people that were just drinking or, you know, drinking away their problems, they weren't pushing Ireland towards, you know, the modern way as well, that they were paralyzing themselves in a sense. And you had Bartell uh, Darcy, who holds on to his past life as a performer. So again, when we talked earlier about that Celtic revival, about the idea of what the arts used to be, you notice Bartell Darcy is kind of like hesitant. He's like, well, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't performed in a while. I don't know if I could do it now. He, he does later on in the story, but he's hesitant. He's, he's still holding on to the past. And with, to that quote earlier about putting your heart into the future to face it bravely, he's not doing that. He's still holding on to the past in the same way that his wife is, the same way that the, the Morkins sisters and, and Mary Jane hold on to the past in, in terms of their hospitality and what they show off. And here you have um, Darcy that is also holding on to the past and not facing the modern way of life that a lot of the Irish people were facing at this point in time. I also think that they're concerned that the generations coming up don't understand their, where they're coming from as well. So it's kind of like this struggle, this tug of war of paralysis between the generations. And I think my favorite interaction in terms of looking at it from a class perspective is actually Molly Ivers. 
I loved the dance okay. between them. Where Molly, if you remember, was super aggressive with like, why don't you finish, you know, why don't you visit your homeland? Why don't you visit Ireland? Shouldn't you know your Irish ways? And he's like, well, you know, I'm trying to keep up on the Germans and their language. And she's like, shouldn't you visit your own homeland? And you realize that she is the Irish nationalist. She is the one that is sticking up for Ireland, in a sense. And she's the one, I think, that calls him a West Briton, I think, if I remember correctly in the story. Yeah, she she definitely is on him. So do you think that this was somebody in Joyce's life that was harping on him of like, why are you traveling around? Why aren't you back in Ireland trying to support us and help us? And and why are you losing your own identity, your your national pride? Like this was somebody that was harping on him, had to be. I, I absolutely think it is people at a minimum, if not person, because they're saying, why aren't you celebrating the Irish pride and Celtic revival? And he's saying, it's not that I'm not celebrating it. It's that I have to have my heart into the future and where Ireland's going to go from here so that we're not stuck in the present in a paralyzed state like he views most of Dubliners are. Yeah, that's good. So I think I think looking at it from a class standpoint, that's how I, I kind of took a lot of these conversations. I will say uh, another really small point that I have before I kick it over to you is, did you notice the Romeo and Juliet reference in here? Uh, there were a few, um, but I don't know that story all that well to, to be able to pick them up greatly. Well, there's, I just want to call it out real quick. There's, there's two dead princes that, that they okay. mentioned kind of right of in that paragraph. And that part's obvious, right? Yeah. But then they talk about his mulberry buttons which I think if you've read that story, you know about the mulberry tree at the end. Mulberry is very representative of death in a lot of literature as a result. Again, the dead, he's wearing a mulberry bush as they're talking about a mulberry colored button as they're talking about um, Romeo and Juliet. And then at the end, the boy that died, Michael Furey, Fury, I don't know how to pronounce it, died at the bottom of the balcony calling up for Gabriel's wife, Greta, and died as a result in the same way at the end of Romeo and Juliet when Romeo was calling up from the balcony to his Juliet. And again, the dead being the representative where that boy died, I think it said a week later from that. Really kind of interesting foreshadowing, which kind of happened very early on in the story that I picked up on I thought was kind of very unique. I think that's a really good uh, segue over to my main takeaway from the story, and that is mortality. I think that that is one of the major central themes that in isolation that we see kind of similar throughout almost all of the stories within Dubliners is isolation. But really here, the story called The Dead actually has a lot of joy in it. And they talk a lot about life and they reminisce about all the good things that they've had and done in their lives. Right. Yeah, I I kind of even had like almost a Dickens feel to the way some of this was written, I guess, maybe because it's Christmas time. But even just the dialogue felt very British, even West Britain, I guess, right? Yeah, so I think this, the story is far from bleak and all these terrible things. And yes, there's poverty. And yes, we can talk about the decline of the sisters and everything. But these people are celebrating. And even though it's winter time and we didn't talk a lot about, um, you know, the snow and everything and the symbolism on that yet, uh, th- these people are celebrating during a time of death. And I think that it's important to note that they're trying to to continue on, even though it's a facade, have a good life or portray a good life or at least pretend to have a good life. No, absolutely. They are they are above their means in trying to hold on to that, right? 
Yeah. And I think it's appropriate. I mean, we see the loving interactions um, and we see the different generations, even though it is fake, they do seem to be trying to come together on some level and understand one another, even though they really don't. So as we talked about, mortality is uh, really one of the key parts because it begins right with the title, The Dead. Uh, We've talked about that before. So the two ants in their old house and their old ways really become symbols for the onslaught of time. And I think that we see this best in the very last quote of Gabriel when he says that uh, he's going to be back here soon to to bury them because they're going to die as well. So I think really the story all becomes about people's deaths and how it's not in the too distant future. And I think that comes back to is that the old way of Ireland is going to die and that it's going to have to move on to something Mm. new that it's not going to stay the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And then, of course, as you brought up, there is uh, Greta remembering the young boy who is dying because of the song. And I think that that's important as well, is that uh, music is very important in Irish culture and Celtic pride and the the songs. And that songs can bring out memories and can bring out uh, your emotions. And that throughout the whole story here, we see music become integral parts of uh, these people's uh, remembrance of their lives. And that's something that's important in, in, in Celtic culture as well as music the arts music being a representative of arts even i think the last thing is this idea of mortality comes up with isolation as well uh gabriel's feeling sorry for himself he's all you know whiny down about it that you know his (laughs) wife loved this boy you know what like 30 years ago or something uh and there's this quote that i have and it says uh his soul had approached that region where dwells the vast hosts of the dead. And it's like he's given up, uh, you know, and he's the one that's alive and has, you know, a wife and, you know, obviously has it pretty decent, but he's so fixated on the the dead that he himself can't move on. Uh, and I, I kind of like got a little bit mad at him and chuckled. I was like, man, you're being a dick. <laughs> well, you wonder too, um, is... Is it not necessarily jealousy at play here, but is there maybe a hint of he recognizes that maybe he never had the same intensity of wanting to and willing to die for Greta the way that this young boy did? No, definitely, definitely. And I think that that's the whole overall theme for Gabriel itself is that he feels isolated and he is realizing that mortality waits for all of us and that he hasn't given the ultimate sacrifice for Greta and this boy did and he does he can't measure up. And what happens? He becomes paralyzed. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So one thing to note is that because uh, Great Britain and Ireland are islands. It doesn't actually snow there all that often because the water acts as like a natural air conditioner. So snow is very, very rare. And in this case, I think that the snow represents uh, death that comes for these people indiscriminately. And in there, he says the... So he uses the word opaque where it lies drifted thickly over the cities and distant graveyards. And it masked everything in a shield of white, isolating everything. And only Gabriel remained. So I think that uh, I think that the snow is, is masking everything like we've seen so much in the story mask or cover the reality of life. I think it's worth pointing out, too, that 
So we, we talked about in some of our other works about paralysis being a huge theme throughout this whole collection. It almost has the most positive version of it, right? So, so it's very dreadful and negative in a lot of the pieces. But there's a lot of mirth and celebration to your points that you were talking about earlier in this specific piece. And I think it's interesting how this concept of snow, whether you can view it as death Another way to view it is if you have a terrible snowstorm, everything stops. It can paralyze everything to, to, to kind of the theme of this book. I think we actually have kind of like the happiest that James Joyce can write version of an ending to the story. Um, I, I, th- I just think this last paragraph here is something that I think will stick with a lot of readers for various reasons. Like, like they might be watching this video and be like, man, I had this totally different takeaway, but I also felt very emotionally drawn to this final paragraph, which I think is just speaks to speaks to the literature that we have on hands here. That the fact that James Joyce writing what he knows using people, places, things that he knows, events, and in in a, in a plot that is essentially we had a dinner party, <laughs> people talked. Right, we have something that can resonate from a a Celtic revival, from a, a modern view, from from this nationalistic. Where where does that fit in our lives? To class, to this mortality of what do we do and what makes us happy when we're alive? To this thing that the snow is indiscriminate, the nature and paralysis of nature is is indiscriminate in how it affects things. How do you how do you top this? This is this is one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written, and I can see why some people this is their favorite work for sure. Yeah, it's the reason it was put at the end of the book <laughs> that it is his greatest work. So yeah. I think that uh, subjectively, I would give this like a nine nine point five if we're rating it with number system. We can talk more about that obviously in our, our uh, wrap up video. But wow, what a what a piece of literature! Uh, definitely something that everybody should read. You're going to get a lot out of this, uh, whether you read the whole Dubliners or just this last story. It is something that you need to experience because it's going to have something for everybody. Yeah, I'm going to go with an easy nine point five on this one. Um, it hurts me not to say ten, and I don't know I don't know what the reason is why I would subtract anything from this. I don't know why I don't ever give a 10 to a short story. I've yet to give a 10 to a short story. This is the highest rating I've ever given a short story. So, well, It's because um, we haven't read all of Vonnegut yet. <laughs> so guys, thank you so much for checking out our discussion today. If we didn't cover all of your topics, maybe we'll come back to this at some point. Uh, I think our channel kind of hates when we do part twos, but maybe this is a piece that just absolutely deserves it and we'll come at it from a different angle but please consider subscribing we are going through all of dubliners we've done the sisters rb and eveline so far but that doesn't mean we're going to stop there we, we plan to journey through more of this this collection because it's it's one of the greatest gifts that, that authors have ever given to us so thank you so much for checking us out please subscribe to join us una out peace we have a quote oh shit are we not doing plot again no no there's no way we're doing a plot for this one there's a dinner party (laughs) (laughs) we don't have time for plot this is 60 pages of amazing character writing (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so good that's so Uh, good okay (sighs) yeah and i'm not really i'm not releasing the dead the next week you said that a couple times i was like oh shit i keep
I'm doing you that said one. it. That's why. I did not. You, we'll be doing the dead later on. I did not say last week. We're like you releasing said next it a month. Week. We're releasing it like a month later. You said, and next week we're doing the dead. No, I did. That's why I said it. I have it on video. I did. You, you better. You better have, have it on video. video. I have it on video. Okay, right, you ready? Owe me a big apology. So, hint: if you didn't know what the other bookend was, we're doing the dead next month. <laughs>